Welcome to GM Street, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. It is Tuesday, it is November 20th, and I am joined by the great Michael Lombardi. Uh, historic performance last night. The narrative is out. Uh, people are saying this was the greatest NFL game of all time. You are the historian here on this program. Do you agree with that? Is that is that true? Is that possible? Uh, you know, we got a, a lot of games to pull from. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it, it was certainly this uh, generational game, and I think it's a, it was a truly a Big Twelve game that people have seemed to embrace this lack of defense. I mean, if the NBA is a three-point shooting league, the NFL is becoming a whoever gets the 51st wins league. And I think that this game appeals to people because we see so much offensively. We see so much uh, the ball up and down the field. And look, let's face it, both quarterbacks are playing really well. And I think what we admire the most is great quarterback play as football fans. Both those quarterbacks in that game last night, obviously Pat Mahomes and Jared Goff, guys that uh, people have had their eye on all season. Obviously, these two teams coming into the game. Mahomes throws six touchdowns. Uh, Jared Goff throws four touchdowns, in, including the big throw uh, to Gerald Everett late in that game for 40 yards and the go-ahead touchdown with the 149 left. Um, the, the thing that we saw last night, Lombardi, right, uh, just with these two guys is – they are very sure of themselves, and they are both stars. I mean, Todd Gurley uh, was barely heard from last night. This was the Jared Goff show, uh, and he came up uh, big time at home uh, like he has been able to do in the past. You know, I, I think something was wrong with Gurley. He must have got rolled up. I mean, uh, Brown had four carries in the game. Gurley only had 12, which is not indicative. And usually Sean McVay wants to run the ball. And anytime Gurley carries it less than 17 times, the Rams have have an opportunity to lose games. We know when he carries it over 17, he doesn't. And I think there was something wrong with Gurley or you know, for whatever reason, they just lost sight of it. And, you know, it's not like the Chiefs were ever really stopping them from running the football. I mean, the guy averaged four, six a carry. And so uh, I don't know. I think there was something wrong with Gurley, but the reality of it is, is they were able to make enough plays. I mean, look, it's a close game. It's a fun game, but the reality is the, the the Chiefs have a chance to win this game even though they had 13 penalties for 135 yards, Tate Frazier. I mean, the Buffalo Bills don't get 135 yards of offense. You know, the Arizona Cardinals don't get 135 yards of offense. They had they gave up 135. The Jacksonville Jaguars do not get 135 yards of offense. Don't be picking on Blake. Don't be picking on Blake, <laughs> God damn it. Anyway, and so, you know, and then they were minus three in the turnover takeaway column. And yet, in spite of all that, they're sitting there with a chance with a minute 50 to go in the game and three timeouts and can win the game. I mean, that just shows you exactly uh, what's going on the way football is. But to me, great games to be qualified as a great game. I like the chess match, the strategy of a great game. And in this game, I think it it fell short. I mean, when for example, when Kansas City gets the ball back with six thirty three in the game, and the Rams only have one timeout, and they run that fourth, and the Rams call the timeout their last timeout before the the fourth and two play. The Rams, uh, the, the 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 Chiefs run a really just a tremendous play, a tremendous play, misdirection. It's got all sorts of variables to it, and they hit Kelsey over the middle, and he gets the first down. Now, at that point in the game, I think there's four and change left to go. The Chiefs don't adjust their thinking. They're in this we got to score mentality when at that precise moment, the game is about the clock as much as it about scoring. But of course, the Chiefs don't give a shit, right? They march, start right marching right down the field. And of course, naturally, one of the biggest plays in the game never gets discussed. 
The Ty Hill helmet to helmet, which advanced, stopped the clock. It advanced the ball 10 more yards, was the greatest thing that could have ever happened to the Rams. Because mm-hmm. A, it, it, say, it saved 40 seconds, okay? Because Harris got tackled in bounds. It saved 40 seconds, which the way people that listen to Gridiron Genius must think 40 seconds is at least six plays, okay? So it saved the Rams six plays, and it moved the ball closer to the goal line. And, of course, naturally the Chiefs scored the very next play or the play after and got the ball in the end zone. So that play there, never mentioned, never mentioned. We were too busy talking about, you know, the swim moves by the three technique. And then and then the Rams get the ball back, Tate Frazier, with, you know, with a, with now their objective is we got to score, but we also got to take some of these timeouts away from the Chiefs, right? You know? Yep. And what do the Rams do? They don't give a shit. They score, and the, and the Chiefs get the ball back with all three of their timeouts. Like, And, of course, nobody's talking game management. I mean, just Bell and I are sitting there watching it, and Bell is looking at me like, is somebody going to pay attention to the clock here? I mean, you know, and the Chiefs get the ball with 150 to go and have a chance to win the game, and, and it takes just a, a, a ridiculous play to, for them to win, for them to not win, and then they still have another chance to get the ball back to win the game. It's just remarkable. So for me, great games have to have to have some kind of strategy, and I didn't see that last night. Yeah, the strategy in this game, it seemed, uh, obviously, it was just, it was a shootout all the way across the board, and you mentioned that. So this is the first time in NFL history we have a game with uh, both teams scoring 50 points, uh, 1,001 yards combined in this game, which is uh, pretty impressive. And uh, Lombardi, I have to ask you, I mean, do you know what the, this was not the highest scoring game in NFL history, despite that. And I wanted to see, do you remember what game that was? Oh, la- everyone's saying this is the future of football, but I think uh, the- this happened a long, long time ago. Well, you yeah, know, I don't know. I, I'd have to. I, I mean, I remember the Redskins played the Packers in Lambeau, and it was like forty-eight. Four. I mean, it was one of those kind of games. But I, that obviously that doesn't that that's not doesn't beat the. Tell me, Tate Frazier, give me a little history lesson. The, I need the, it. You were good. The Redskins were in this game. It was the Redskins and the Giants. Uh, nine touchdowns in this one of thirty yards or more. Pretty pretty wild game. The Redskins uh, beat the Giants in this one, seventy-two to 41 uh so 113 points in total there this is where we're going with football obviously the nfl wants big 12 football everybody seems to like it but i do think that if bill parcells was watching last night you know he would be saying you know that you got to play the game in a different way i mean Mm -hmm. i kept watching the game last night and and every time Tyreek Hill made a play, I looked down at my phone and I was expecting a call from Al Davis saying, oh, oh fuck, oh, why isn't he on my fucking team, uh, Mr. Davis? Well, you know, he got caught with, uh, he pleaded guilty to domestic violence. He got thrown off the team in Oklahoma State. He got thrown off the track and the football team. Oh, I don't give a fuck, click. And then that would have been the end of that conversation. But then again, when he made another play, it would have been, oh, fuck, why isn't he on our team? You know, and, and, and go from there. So... I mean, I, I wrote about this for The Athletic today, Tate Frazier. If the New York Giants called the Kansas City Chiefs and offered Odell Beckham Jr. signed to a contract straight up mm. for Tyreek Hill not signed to an extension, the Chiefs would laugh at him. But but that's because he is a complete game breaker, and we, we keep seeing that over and over again. Uh, I, I want you know after that game, I mentioned that Redskins game. The the coach at the time, Otto Graham, when he got to the press conference, he joked uh, it was a great defensive battle. Um, I think that's sort of become the punchline of this game, but we have to point out Aaron Donald, 
the defensive player of the year. I mean, he gets his 14, he's got 14 and a half sacks on the year, two forced fumbles in this game. A Bucon picks one of those up and takes it back for a touchdown. But I mean, he was an absolute force up the middle for that Rams defense. And as much as this game was an offensive game, I mean, Pat Mahomes said it after the game. He said, I gave up 21 points uh, and you can't do that against a team like that. Uh, but I think this too, Tate Frazier, I think this is another important uh, important aspect when I'm watching the game is conditioning, right? Aaron Donald was sensational mm-hmm. in the first half. His presence in the second half, yeah, the Chiefs did some things to try to take him out. But the Rams' defense got tired. There's no doubt about it. And what I don't think fans truly understand is when you play so much man-to-man, you know, you're a basketball guy too. When you play fast break, your basketball players take a break, right? How many times yeah. have you watched a receiver run a nine route and after the route's over, incomplete, he sticks his hand up in the air and says, uh, and says, uh, you know, I need a break. But the DB's got to stay on the field and keep covering, right? Like you yep. can't play man to man constantly 60 minutes and play effectively. You can't rush the passer 50 snaps and be effective on the 50th one as you were on the first one. You just can't do it. Mm-hmm. You're conditioning. And what happens in the NFL so often is teams that don't condition, especially in November and December, conditioning really matters. And I thought it was last night. You know, we kept seeing people go into the locker room. I saw Brandon Cooks go in there. I saw Ty Hill go in there. And, you know, we've got Booger down there on the field, got Lisa Salter down there on the field. Yet we're not getting any information. They were getting IVs in the locker room. I mean, this was an exhausting game. This pace of the game exhausts players. I mean, there's no way either one of these teams would be able to practice until at least Thursday of this week, and it would be a light walkthrough if they didn't have a bye. I mean, that game took so much out of them. And it, it, it you have to understand conditioning is so important. I mean, Tyreek Hill's conditioning is fucking remarkable. He never gets tired. He's faster on the 60th play as he is on the first play. And, and, and do you have a corner that stays that in that kind of shape? I mean, think about it. You know, football's a game of pad level. Football's a game of playing with leverage. Football's a game of, of those things. And when you're tired, like boxers, their hands go down. Well, football players, when they're tired, they're leveraged. They lose their leverage. And all of a sudden, they get their asses whooped. That's, to me, the other thing that I noticed in the game. Of course, you know, nobody's talking about conditioning because it, it's, not, it's not right on people the tip of the tongue. But yeah, the interesting thing to me with that Lombardi too is this game was supposed to be played in altitude, played in Mexico City uh, on conditions. You know, is that game completely and drastically different if we play it uh, outside of Los Angeles? Because it seems like it could have been. It could have been maybe a low-scoring game, and you deal with some of that conditioning stuff on the front end uh, just because of the altitude. I would say without a doubt, if the game were played in Mexico City, uh, I think some players would have not been able to come back in whether they had the IV or not. I think it would have affected the, mm. the depth of the game. And also, I think the game would have probably been in the high 30s. I don't think it would have gotten to the 50s. I think there's no doubt that game would have changed dramatically based on altitude. And let's talk about a guy also in this game that made a difference. I mean, we talked about people wearing down, but Bucom gets the two touchdowns, uh, you know, fun, fumble recovery. Uh, and then he also, you know, in the last play, I mean, he gets to the, the first Mahomes pick um, late late in the fourth, qu- fourth quarter when they're trying to come back. I mean, he's the one that gets the hand right on Mahomes. He dives, uh, gets around Travis Kelsey, and that ball floats up. And then, you know, ironically enough, Marcus Peters, a guy that was on the Chiefs just last year and gets traded in March, uh, he, he's on the receiving end of that. And, and he said all he said was, you know, don't drop that motherfucker. 
and uh, and, and he caught it. And uh, from there, I mean, the the Rams, it, it seemed at the time, had the game sealed, but still, they were not able to manage the clock. And that's the other stuff I want to ask you about. So the touchdown that Goff throws, you, you mentioned uh, the, the Rams scoring too quickly. He throws a 40-yard pass, which was a beautiful pass there, and they go down and Everett scores that touchdown. But they give them that time. But that was, once again, that's what McVay is good at. He makes those big throws. He goes on first and second down. Um, so that's a good thing about McVay. But you, he's a lot like Andy Reid. And we saw these guys both kind of, they can shoot themselves in the foot a little bit because they are so offensive-minded and they're so good at making people play left-handed. That, uh, But when they need to stretch out a game, they don't necessarily want to call it that way. At first and 10 at the Kansas City 40, with a minute 56 to go in the game, uh, is when Goff throws the 40-yard touchdown pass to Everett. At that precise moment, I, I'm thinking in my head and uh, is you got to run the ball here. you got to start the clock. And if mm-hmm. you run the ball there, you're going to at least – Andy's going to make a decision. Do I take a timeout or do I let this thing play out? You got to put some pressure on Andy. See, this game, the clock was never part of the equation. And both teams and all everybody's talking about will be the scoring of the game, but the mismanagement and the technical aspect of how play selections affect game management. I mean, that first and 10 call should have been a run. It should have been a control pass. You could have come back to the big play to Everett. You could have set that up with another down. Now, it obviously hit and the Rams won. And look, I'm not taking anything away from McVay's brilliance as a play caller and all that. But as a game manager, he had to think to himself, oh shit, we're up by three points and they got three timeouts and all they need is a field goal to get this thing into overtime. Uh, maybe I should have milked the clock a little bit, right? And then he got bailed out by... Bukam, yep. He hits his arm, but I mean, that doesn't belie the point. And then, not to be outdone, when he goes back and he throws it on, when he throws it on a second and 11, and he gives the Chief another timeout, again, by not, by not running it there, he gives the, chief five, the Chiefs five more plays because they get their timeout back. He's giving them five plays. So instead of looking at by instead of looking at it that way, just look at it as we're passing plays across the field over. Here's five plays, Andy, you can have them. And we know that A, field position doesn't matter in these games anymore. Fucking scratch field position. It, it's, it's non-existent. It's like the whole conversation, why did Belichick go for it with, with when Peyton Manning, when he threw the flat to Kevin Falk? Because what Belichick was saying is like field position doesn't matter. They're going to have the ball back here in like three minutes anyway, in three seconds uh-huh. anyway. So It's inevitable. You know, and so field position doesn't matter. And yet, you know, you give them those time. You give them plays matter. Plays matter. And you gave them five plays by just throwing the ball there. These are two larger things I want to take from this game that we, we can stretch this a, big, a bit further with all this stuff and what it kind of means moving forward for the rest of the season. But the first thing I want to ask you about Thursday night football, when we start week 11, we have Aaron Rodgers. He has a fourth and two. He's in Seattle territory. Mike McCarthy says, I'm going to trust my defense. I'm going to punt it back to Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson is, you know, a game manager, but also a superstar quarterback. So he knows that he's going to milk that clock and make sure they don't ever that Aaron Rodgers never touches the ball again. And the interesting thing to me is that Andy Reid does trust, you know, and lets Mahomes go for it on that fourth and two. It's a big play to Kelsey that you brought up earlier. 
So we see that happen, and you you see the the philosophy is so different between an old school guy like Mike McCarthy and what Andy Reid and Sean McVay and even like people like Doug Peterson and maybe even Frank Reich and some of these other guys, uh, Matt Nagy for sure that would go for it on fourth and two. So we we have a clash of styles. So when we get to the playoffs, you're going to have some of these teams like maybe a John Harbaugh and the Ravens. You know, don't go for it on fourth and three. But, you know, Andy Reid and Doug Peterson are going for it every time. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And, and if you're Aaron Rodgers, how upset are you when you watch Andy Reid believe him homes and you have to sit on the sideline? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I wrote about it today for The Athletic. I, I, I wrote that this old school thinking of game management, this old school thinking that the defense is going to get me the ball back has got to stop. I mean, it's just not happening. You're not watching the same game I'm watching. You're not watching this at all. Like, you have to win the games with your offense. Offense is what wins game. I've been talking about this now on this podcast for a while. The reason Bill Walsh was so effective on the road was because his offense was able to do that. You know? Yep. And and so I think, to me, if you're going to be Mike McCarthy and you're going to operate as if it's 1990 and you think you're going to get the ball back because they're going to run three dives, you're you're living in a different world. You're not living in reality. And I think that that's the biggest problem of all time. And you, you got to change your thinking. Uh, the column that I wrote, Tate Frazier, was I wrote it as if, like, when you're, when you're in the NFL, you're watching games. You know, you're sitting at your desk watching games. You're thinking about, you're evaluating players, but you're also evaluating your team. How does my team match up to their team, right? And Al Davis was huge on this. He loved this. He always wanted to have a matchup board. So in my computer, I always had how our team ranked in the AFC West against the other teams. And so our free safety against, you know, their free safety, you know, we have the fourth best free safety, the Chargers, let's say, have the first best. And you just go down there and you total points up and see how it goes. Sparky Anderson, the the former baseball manager of the Cincinnati Reds, used to do this all the time in baseball. He would give his, he would give PowerPoints to the positions and then he would rank it. So when you're watching tape, you're always evaluating how does my team rank here? So that's one. But you're also watching, like, where's the trends of the game going? And the game is very clearly going in a direction where we can't play good enough defense to be able to get the ball back. And, you know, the other day on Twitter, you know, uh, some fan was like, some some uh, Bears guy was like, I was more upset with you because you called the Bears a situational defense as opposed to Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, seriously? Like, that's the only way you play defense in the NFL is situational defense. Like, there is no great defense in the NFL, including the fucking Bears, okay? Yep. Like, they're a situational defense. They play from in front. They got a great pass rusher. They got a humongous human being inside named Akeem Hicks, who we should have never let go from the Patriots. Meanwhile, back on that later. You know, and they can dominate the game because when they play from in front, they can do it. When they play from behind like they did in the Patriot games, they're not exactly the same defense. So, like, that's just, that's not a knock. That's a compliment. And so you got to understand, you got to play. If you're Mike McCarthy, you don't even have a good situational defense. You got a shitty defense. Like, what am I playing to? Like, what am I playing to? And then he made that comment, like, well, the numbers back me up. What fucking numbers are he looking at? I love doing the whole narrative stuff with you. And, you know, we used to do it last year, Sunday nights. But we're, we're so deep into it now on Tuesdays that we just read everything that comes out. And this game after last night, everyone is – this is the face of the NFL. These are these are the two teams that the NFL would love to see in a, in a high-octane offense Super Bowl. Pat Mahomes versus Jared Goff, two young quarterbacks, two likable guys – 
two really big time players. You know, the the confidence that Jared Goff has in his third year, as opposed to what we saw his rookie year, is tenfold. Um, but these two teams play the same way. So what happens in the playoffs? Let's say the, the Seahawks get the wild card. What happens in that game if McVay, you know, does the three and out thing and Russell Wilson does get the ball back and Russell and Bustle comes down and he doesn't just get a field goal to tie the game. He throws a late touchdown to Doug Baldwin and, you know, they win a game like that because Pete Carroll does not he's not going to coach and play the exact like Andy Reid and Sean McVay were both hurting simultaneously hurting themselves, but also playing into the hands of the other guy because they they coach and are doing, you know, pretty much similar things. But there's going to be teams in the playoffs that will that that will be able to be smart enough to stretch a game out and take away some of those possessions. And, and that's what I want to see when it gets tight, because it's one thing to see these two teams play each other, but they play the same way. So, so to get them to play a contrasting style, I think is, is more of a, an interesting uh, proposition for the playoffs, because I think people watch this game last night. They're these, they're like, these offenses are amazing. Look at these defensive stars. These teams are going to be in the Super Bowl. Not to say that they won't be in the Super Bowl, but uh, teams will, they play into each other's hands in, entirely throughout this game and teams will play them differently. And uh, that, that's what I'm excited to see once we get down to the nitty gritty in the playoffs. Hey, Tate Frazier, that's 1000% correct. There's no way that somebody, I mean, if Bill Parcells was watching, if he stayed awake for it last night, he's probably sitting there thinking these guys you can't play you can't play a track meet versus a track meet team yep you got to slow this game down you're a basketball guy you understand it because you see basketball and you hear those coaches talk about pace of the game hey we got to play this game in the 50s to win it style and and i don't think the fans truly comprehend that i mean for both teams look the patriots did it very clearly the patriots had no interest in playing i mean even though the scores were huge even though they were they were, uh, you know, even though they were, uh, you know, both teams were able to move the ball up and down the field and yada, 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 and, and, and it went back and forth. The reality of the game was that the Patriots, you know, it's 43 to 40, but the Patriots were, were not in, wanted to play a different pace. They were they were convinced they needed they ran the ball 38 times in the game. They wanted pace. Now, they gave up 40 points, but they wanted pace. And I think. Other coaches, I know Sean Payton will want to have a better pace if he played the Rams, if he again, if he plays the Saints, if he plays the the the, the Chiefs in a, in a Super Bowl, they would want pace. And I think good head coaches will set up their game plan to have a pace where in all three phases we'll understand what the pace of the game will be. And we're going to keep an eye on that uh, moving forward. I mean, a lot of teams, uh, you know, as you see in professional sports, uh, when teams do things that are flashy and they turn heads of fans and they give viewers. Uh, people try to copy that and emulate that. But uh, like we said, these are the two teams that that play a little bit of Canadian football and definitely play battleship defense uh, terms that we like to use here on GM Street. But at the end of the day, uh, it, it was very impressive to see uh, those young guys, Mahomes, Goff, uh, and then, you know, to see a superstar like Aaron Donald um, be out there and make, go, you know, those kind of big plays on Monday Night Football. We're going to take a break right now and we're going to come back uh, on the other side of this and we're going to do uh, performances from the week 11 that jumped out to Lombardi. And we're also going to do our awards for the week. Quick break to get a word from our sponsor, KiwiCo. KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on projects for kids that make learning about STEAM fun. 
KiwiCo projects are designed to spark creativity, tinkering, and learning in kids of all ages. They inspire kids to see themselves as makers and to develop creative confidence to change the world through engineering and creating their own innovative designs and outcomes. Their mission is to empower kids not just to make a project, but to make a difference. KiwiCo makes the perfect gift for the kids in your life. Each month, they'll receive a fun, engaging new project, which will help develop their creativity and confidence. KiwiCo has six lines of projects to choose from, like the Tadpole Crate for kids zero to two, all the way up to the Tinker Crate for teens. KiwiCo is offering today's listeners the chance to try them for free, just in time for the holiday season. To redeem this offer and learn more about their projects for kids, visit kiwico.com slash NFL. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash NFL to try them out for free. And did you know football season is underway and I already have major regrets about my season-long fantasy teams. I'm sure most of you fantasy players out there feel the exact same way. Spend all offseason researching and getting excited for the draft and then comes the pain. That's why I'm so excited to be playing on FanDuel all season long. Over at FanDuel, you get the excitement of researching and building your team each week regardless of the outcome. Plus, FanDuel has never been more fun or easy to play. I've been playing in their Gridiron Pick'em Contest every single week it's a free contest where all you need to do is pick winners no spreads then 10,000 is split amongst the top pickers again it's one of those things where uh in week 10 you know I had Mitchell Trubisky on my team Lombardi's probably upset about that I had Nick Chubb Brandon Cooks uh you know and and we made some money uh Jim Cunningham was a part of that so uh congratulations to producer Jim trust me if you're not a fantasy expert then FanDuel is clearly the place to play plus new users get a five dollar bonus when they make their final deposit so come play with me at fanduel.com slash the ringer that's fanduel.com slash the ringer new users only bonus not available for withdrawal state and age restrictions apply for full eligibility rules and terms and conditions go to fanduel.com back to gm street all right, we're back, and this is uh, in our Week 11 special. I mean, there were so many games, uh, so many talking points. As we get to this part of the season, uh, you know, things matter more than they may have mattered in September because we're getting uh, right in Thanksgiving. It is Feast Week, Lombardi, uh, so a lot of college basketball going on in the world, but a lot of NFL talk as well. And when we talk about headlines in the NFL, a guy that always draws headlines, uh, the Clapper, and uh, of course, the, the the Clappers fervent leader, and that is J- uh, Jerry Jones uh, and his Cowboys go down to Atlanta um, and, and they get a nice little win, a nice field goal win for them, 22 to 19. Uh, he was very excited after the game. He was, uh, according to reports that were put out, he was going in the locker room. Do you see this Lombardi? And he was doing the Ric Flair woo. He was, he was doing that all in the locker room. So uh, J- Jerry Jones is back. Uh, the NFC East race has been uh, a roller coaster to say the least. It keeps you know going up and down, and then you know unfortunately Alex Smith goes down with a, a season-ending injury. Um, you know does the wave goodbye on the cart, and and Colt McCoy is now the guy there. So uh, that race is completely open, and we saw the Cowboys get a nice win on the road. Uh, just looking at this one, Lombardi. I mean, we can talk about the Falcons a little bit here. Also, they hold out Deion Jones in this game, thinking that they could beat uh, the Cowboys without him. Uh, that was not the right choice. And, and again, the Cowboys get a nice road win. Yeah, I mean, I thought the Cowboys defensive front played great. I thought their defensive line dominated the game. They put a lot of pressure on Matt Ryan and Matt wasn't comfortable. He was sacked three times. And look, this is the formula the Cowboys have to play with. They were finally good on third down again. I mean, this is what they're back to. They were back to the 2016 Cowboys. Really effective. They're 54% on third down. They controlled the football almost 32 minutes. They were able to run Zeke. They utilized Zeke. And I think for Cowboy fans, 
what's coming down the road for you is, and it's good for GM Street because we're a big supporter, is I think one, a couple more wins and they win the East. We're going to get a clapper extension. And could there, I mean, there'd be nothing better than that, Tate Frazier. Clap on, clap off. Woo! The clapper. I got the star on my chest right now. I'm rooting for it. I mean, I think it is. And, you know, look, the Falcons, the Falcons offensive line played like crap in the game. And, you know, their defense played as well as they can considering the injuries and all that. And they had an opportunity. They scored too early. They scored to tie the game up. And you just knew they were going to get beat late in the game. And and it, and it happened on them. So, uh, look, but I think the key thing here is the Falcons only had eight possessions in the game. This is the pace and style that the Cowboys have to play. The Cowboys are not a track meet team. They're not going to play that game. They play this way, limit opponents to number of possessions. I mean, the Falcons only had the ball 10 minutes in the second half in the game. So they did a nice job in that area, and you got to hand it to the Clapper. He's on a two-game win streak, and he's got Colt McCoy coming into town. And while we're here, I, I think you're going to underestimate Colt McCoy here a little bit. Now, look, I had a shitty week last week picking games. I was a fucking disaster, okay? It was horrendous. I got screwed by your Panthers, yep. Ron Rivera. We'll talk about that later. You know, I got screwed by the Falcons. We'll talk about that later. And, you know, the Eagles never showed up. In a do-or-die do game, the Eagles decided to play their shittiest game of the year, right? So, anyway, back to the – meanwhile, back at the ranch – uh, I think Colt McCoy gives the Redskins a better chance than Alex Smith, only for this reason. I think Alex Smith was a system quarterback for Andy Reid's Utah West Coast College offense. But I don't think Jay Gruden really understood what Alex Smith could do well. And he was trying to fit Alex Smith into his Redskin offense. That doesn't work. I think Colt McCoy can work. Now, I don't think Colt McCoy can last for 16 games. He doesn't have the body for it. But I think he can last for six games, seven games. And I think they'll throw the ball more effectively in Washington than they did with Alex Smith. It's still going to come down to can they run the ball and can they play great defense? And that's what beat that's what beat the Cowboys the last time they played them. That's going to have to be the formula as they move forward. And we did see uh, on Sunday, I mean, that Texans team uh, does get a win on the road uh, going against the Redskins. But, um, you know, a lot of people were talking about this when it happened. But, you know, 33 years since uh, the Joe Theismann in injury when Lawrence Taylor came around and, uh, and took him out. And, you know, it was, it was very sad to see uh, Alex Smith go out in this game with that gruesome injury. Um, but like you said, I mean, Colt McCoy is a guy that has been around the block. Um, you know, for people that don't remember, Colt McCoy was the one that, you know, Marcel Darius knocked out of the national title game. And, you know, who knows in a revisionist world, you know, if the Texas Longhorns and Mac Brown and all those five stars have Colt McCoy, you know, they, <laughs> they may win that national championship. And the Nick Saban era is a, to- is a totally different talking point. But, uh, you know, back to the current times, Colt McCoy is a guy that, uh, you know, like a lot, he kind of is a lot like Case Keenum in that way, right, Lombardi? Like he can come into a game uh, and he, he knows what he's supposed to do with the football basically protect the football. And he does have an arm and can make the throws. I mean, he is in, he is a professional quarterback. No doubt. I think, and he, and when the thing that gives him the biggest advantage is he's comfortable with Jay Gruden and Jay Gruden's comfortable with him. Yep. And I think Jordan Reed's comfortable with them. And I think, you know, they, they're going to have to find ways to manufacture points. There's no doubt. Their defense has got to create turnovers. They've got to be able to play a certain style, much like the, what the Cowboys style has to play, but don't underestimate, don't underestimate Colt McCoy making some throws in this game. And if the Cowboys think this is going to be an easier game because the backup quarterback, Colt McCoy, 
McCoy went in there and beat them on a Thursday night a couple years ago. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if they played well in this game. I think the line got up to eight and a half. It's starting to come down a little bit. But the Redskin defense will be a good defense. They'll, they'll play the run effectively, and they'll put pressure on Dak to make plays in the passing game. And I just think Colt gives them a little bit better of an advantage than Alex Smith, even though most people think Alex Smith does. I just don't see it that way. And we must be honest, Lombardi. You know this, you know, having a family down in Texas right now. But when guys from Texas play in Texas, and if they're playing football, Sometimes they just play a little differently. You know, it's like point guards playing in New York. It's just a little bit more cachet, a little more confidence. And, uh, you know, like you said, Colts already gone into Dallas and gotten a win before. So that'll be fun to watch. We'll keep an eye on Washington. And that NFC East ra- uh, race in general uh, has been crazy. Uh, a race that, you know, a lot of people were excited, you know, to see at the start of the season before the, the New Orleans Saints uh, went wild. Uh, the NFC South and, and the Panthers really just you know dropped the ball uh, this week. They're, they've fallen out uh, pretty much no chance at this point to win the NFC South unless something drastic happens uh, with that loss to Detroit. The big storyline in this one, uh, Riverboat Ron added again. Um, the, the Panthers decide to go for two uh, and go for the win instead of going for the tie. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of opinions going back and forth on this one. Uh, you know, people still think you know Stafford could have had some time to get in field goal range, possibly for the Lions. But regardless, as you said, Lombardi, uh, this was a, a a bad loss for a team that has struggled to find an identity on the road. Again, the, you know, their their road win that sticks out that people remembered. Uh, you know, that sort of tricked people into thinking they they could be a good road team was that comeback against Philadelphia. Uh, we can talk about Philadelphia a little bit later when we talk about the Saints. But uh, in, in this one, Lombardi, first off, your thoughts on the decision to go for two. Uh, that, that's an old, uh, you know, sports thing, you know, go for the win on the road, but uh, it, it didn't work out for Riverboat Ron. And now uh, that Panthers team is reeling a little bit, uh, not too much, but they're reeling a little bit. No doubt. I didn't like the decision. I mean, there was too much time to go in the game. The Lions had two timeouts. There was still a minute. And even so, let's play it out. Let's go forward. Let's 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 use false duality instead of A or B. Let's go to C, D, and E. So let's say they score and they make it 20, 21 to 20. Mm-hmm. Now the mindset of the Lions is simply this. We've got to score or we lose. So they don't give a shit about anything, about preserving the clock. They don't give a shit about anything other than scoring. If the score's 20 to 20, Matt Patricia's thinking to himself, okay, I don't want to give the ball back to the Panthers. I got to, I got to utilize the clock a little bit here. I got to make sure I'm conservative in my approach, but yet have the ability to try to kick this field goal to win the game. I'm a little bit reticent to not go full force so my mindset's different if i'm behind i got a completely different shape of mind okay i'm going all out so that to me even if they scored the two point i think it actually would have hurt them because it would have changed the way the lions approached the game now you could say well the panthers could have intercepted the ball the lions would have made a mistake yeah but you're dealing with matt prater who's a really good long distance field goal kicker and the whole notion that you didn't want Graham Gano to kick a, an extra point, even though he had a horrendous day, there's something must be going on in the water at Ford Field because Mason Crosby sucked it off up there. And then get Graham Gano, who's never missed a kick this year outside of 40 yards, including 50 yarders. Yep. So he, he had a bad day. I, I didn't like the decision. I, I thought when you handicapped the game, the Panthers did exactly what they th- I thought they would do. They moved the ball effortlessly up and down the field. They converted third downs. They didn't put the ball in the end zone. They missed the field. I mean, DJ Moore gets tackled. He was like, it looked like me running out there. You know, I was like, what? get in the fucking end zone, bro. Like, you're a fast guy. 
it, it was a lot of it was a lot of that in this game. I mean, Moore did lead the, uh, the Panthers in this game. He had, you know, seven catches, 157 yards, and a touchdown. I, I think the the biggest stories are what you just brought up. I mean, Graham Gano, 34 yard uh, field goal that he missed. Uh, you know, obviously that comes back to bite you when you lose a game by one point. So a lot of people are pointing to that, and you know, this is a per, you know he a guy that made a big kick earlier in the year against the Giants. So uh, you've seen both sides of that. So, but once again, you know, a, a kicker is a storyline, which is pretty interesting, especially uh, if you're Dave Tobe or you're any of these special teams guys, uh, a lot of errors, are, you know, randomly coming up. And another guy that is making a lot of mistakes that uh, people are pointing to, even though uh, he is, you know, well known around the building as a consummate great teammate, you know, Funches has just really struggled. Uh, he had an awful game in this one. He had four drop passes uh, oh and, my God. and a chance to have a touchdown that he drops. And, you know, people start pointing the finger at Cam, but, uh, you know, he, he is, again, you know, he's a lot of the running game. And uh, when you have guys that are open dropping balls, uh, you, you know, it's tough to overcome that. You know, you would think Funches would, you know, he's a he's a Michigan kid. You would think he would have played his best game back there. Yeah. You know, and he played his worst game. I mean, he was killing me. There's one I lost there. You know, the Houston Texans, I, I you know, I, I watched that game. I'm like, how am I going to lose this game? How are the Texans not going to win by a touchdown? And yet, you know, their kicker misses a field goal, you know, a chip shot field goal in that game too. So I lost that one. Uh, and, you know, they turned the ball over like ridiculously, like stupid turnovers on a screen pass. They get a turnover. So, it, you know, it's... It's one of those days where I, I'm, I, I made horrible picks, but I looked at the games and I'm like, shit, other than the Eagle game, which we'll talk about in a second here, that, that really wasn't bad. But let's talk about the Colts let, let, as it relates to the Eagles. I think these two games go hand in hand. What we're seeing from the Colts is unbelievable. Their offensive line is playing well. Luck standing on his two feet. Yep, I think Quinn with Nelson's Frank, great. I mean, they're all been great. I mean, they've all been good up front. I mean, my man Gooch, the line coach there, has done a great job. They've done a good job on third down. And what people don't seem to realize is, uh, you know, Frank Wright ran the third down in Philadelphia last year for the Eagles. And the third down magic that used to exist on Broad Street no longer exists any long, anymore. It's, it's in Indianapolis, you know. And so they're converting third downs at, at an unbelievable pace. Their defense plays hard. And look, I've said it all along. They play great in the Dome. They're a good turf team. They're a good dome team. They get after the quarterback. They were able to stop the running game of the, t- of the Titans. And, you know, they got the quarterback. Mariota got hurt again after he was sacked four times. So the speed of their defense was impressive. I, I think this Colt team... I said at the beginning of the year, and I got off of them, but I think because of the schedule and because of the way they're coaching, I think Frank Wright has done an unbelievable job. I mean, talk about coach of the year performance. Remember, last year the Colts were in so many games into the fourth quarter. They had a chance to win so many games, and they just couldn't do it. They couldn't put games away, and they lost them. This year, it started out the same way. Had the Bengal game, they're driving, they turn it over. I mean, the only game they're not in is the Patriots game on Thursday night. All the other games, they got a chance to win on the final drive of the game and you talk about growth and you talk about scripting out plays and you know that you can see it even you know Frank Reich you, you look at that Eagles team last year everyone wants to point to the Philly special play you know he calls that in the game this week Eric Ebron you know barely you know misses on a toss to Andrew Luck but you, you see the creativity and I you know for you know just as NFL fans people that were watching Andrew Luck early in his career the, the knock was it was always slow starts and it seemed like Andrew Luck you know they would be down 24 to 3 and it was on him to make a miraculous comeback but uh, Frank Reich is calling these games. He's putting these guys in, in easy spots. He's letting Andrew Luck make you know simple throws to guys like Eric Ebron to the tight ends. And then when you have a guy like T.Y. Hilton, it's sort of the same thing as you know Tyree Kill, where if you have a game breaker, a guy that single handedly can get open uh, at any point in the game, then uh, Andrew Luck you know can make easy and early throws. And then once uh, the game you know opens up a bit. 
Frank Reich's not afraid to to make big calls and I think you're totally right. I mean, you, you talk about values and uh, what you lose when you win a Super Bowl. Uh, Frank Reich is, to me, just watching this Colts team in the past four weeks, I've been really impressed. It looks like the Andrew Luck uh, we always hoped he would be when he was the number one pick. So uh, that's kudos, kudos to the Colts. Yeah, and transition into the Saints game. I mean, here are the Eagles. They can't convert a damn third down. So the Eagle game, I mean, so the score's 48-7, to seven and it's a blowout, right? Yep. It's a little bit like the Redskin game on Monday night. It's a close game until, until the safety for the Redskins Nicholson had the stupid penalty on this on him and then he missed the tackle but this is a so it's 17 to 7 and the Eagles have the ball late in the second quarter and they're driving down the field they have a third and two and I don't know what the Eagles they ran a really shitty play action pass and it would would have drove Al Davis crazy because you know Al Davis hated play action passes that never really held the deep linebackers he never wanted play action passes that that you know were just like you just pretend you're handing the ball off but everybody knows it's a pass right it's like oh, why would we do that that's <laughs> dumb you know and so they ran one of those and of course Wentz gets sacked and they get kicked they get because they, they were in four down territory right there right they were in four down territory they're gonna they got a chance to you know go into half time 17-14 and the, the Saints get the ball back to start the third quarter but at least you got a chance to put some points on the board but naturally you know they they run they get sacked and they get taken out of field goal range and you know what happens Tay Frazier yep you know it's now it becomes fourth and 13 and it's 24-7 and then it becomes 31-7 and the game's over now you know, it's the car, it's the Peyton Manning effect. You know, they scored 14 points when the when the Eagles had no chance at, at scoring any points, and they put the game away. Now the game's over. Now the game is over. Effectively, with 11:20 to go in the game, the game's over. So, I mean, for me, it was one of those where uh, uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I, and I look at this Eagle team and I'm thinking, desperate teams. When you're a desperate team, you got to play better than that, right? You're fighting, scratching, and clawing. And all week long, because I live in the Philadelphia area, you know, I watch the, the, the evening news here. Uh, all week long, they talked about how great of practices they have and how the players' attentions were focused, and they thought they would really play a great game. And like a fucking idiot, I bought into it. You know, I'm thinking, okay, their backs are to the wall. They're going to come out and really fight. Shit, it wasn't even a game, Tate Frazier. Uh, never listen to practice reports uh, because they get 20 minutes uh, and it's whatever they see out there. It's sort of a – we're going to get to Lamar Jackson in a second, but you know he wasn't practicing because of an illness and you know it was getting reported that RG3 may start even though Lamar uh, came out there and started. But I, I do want to point to what you were saying about the Saints. I think the, the big takeaway for uh, a lot of people from this game is, one, if you're, if you're playing in that dome in New Orleans, uh, you can lose a game in the first quarter. You know, like you said, it's a compounding effect. If they get ahead early on in these games and Michael Thomas is is rolling and, and Drew Brees is throwing the ball around and, and you're making mistakes turning the ball over and you can't get anything on third down, you might as well kiss it goodbye because it, it's pretty much over with at this point. This Saints team is rolling. And if you just watch the interviews after the game, I mean, you, you were saying uh, the Eagles were saying how much they're gelling together. You, you listen to Mark Ingram and Kamara and Thomas and Drew Brees talk about this team and Sean Payton, of course. Um, they all they all seem to be on the same page, uh, and they're obviously clicking and rolling. And then you see a, a rookie like Traquan Smith. I mean, he gets 10 of 13 targets, 157 yards in the score, and you're not even thinking about Traquan Smith. And, and Kamara had a girly game here. He didn't really do too much for him, and they still dominated and blew out the Eagles. Um, so once again, the Saints make a statement. And who do, who do you think the finger uh, – when, when does the finger pointing start, start on offense uh, with Carson Wentz and the Eagles? I mean, obviously a lot of injuries. Kelsey goes down. Two more corners go down. 
Tate Frazier, they don't have that many injuries. Look, they don't have speed. They don't. No one is worried about the Eagles. I've said this all year on the podcast. Nobody's worried about the Eagles taking the top off the defense. They don't have anybody that you're worried. I mean, look, I love Alshon Jeffrey, but he's a jump ball receiver. He's always going to be in a crowd. Okay, and they've got they're a basketball team that has way too many small forwards. You know, Golden Tate needs to play in the slot. Jordan Matthews needs to play in the slot. So does Nelson Aguilar. They all need to play in the slot. Their offensive line's not playing nearly as good, and they don't have a running back. I mean, they can kid themselves into thinking that Josh Adams is going to be a great back, but nobody's worried about Josh Adams beating them. Josh Adams needs to get the ball. He's not great in pass protection. So, I mean, they start the game off. The script, the famous script of Philadelphia, three and out. Down 7 nothing. come back out on the field. Famous script again, three and out. Okay, now I'm down 10 nothing. come back out. Two plays, interception. I mean, seriously. Mm. Like, they don't have any – they don't have – everybody's looking at their defense, which certainly has its issues. But their offense sucks. They don't have any skill. They don't have any juice. They don't have any – and then their offensive line isn't very good. And Wentz – I don't think Wentz's arm feels good. Like, I just watch him. He always wears a sleeve like – I know he can throw the ball from here to Topeka, Kansas, but like it just doesn't look right to me. Like there's something there. Like I don't know if he's got tendonitis in his elbow. Again, it just doesn't look right. The ball seems to sail high on him. I don't know if it's the knee, but something ain't right there with the kid. And he's a better player than he's played. And he's taking big shots. I mean, you talk about the offensive line. I mean, he is running for his life, and it does seem a little bit like uh, last year, as far as play calling, if you want to point to Frank Reich, you know, they still had the reins on Carson, and they were making play calls to make him, uh, you know, have some easy throws. Sort of, you know, what we see, it's a scheme to get someone open, a scheme to get him out uh, of the pocket and get him some free room. And now, you know, he's taking uh, the brunt of, you know, all this stuff. I mean, it's third and 12. People are expecting Carson Wentz to make a wonderful play, like he did so many times last year. Um, but like you said, when you don't have the separation on the back end, um, I mean, Alshon Jeffrey, to me, and I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I mean, he kind of reminds me of just a Hakeem Nicks type guy where uh, he can't have his big moments, his big games, but uh, as he gets older, uh, there will be less and less separation. Sort of what we saw with Dez. Um, no doubt. He can still go get the ball like he did last year, but I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but they don't have Torrey Smith on the outside that you have to worry about. They don't have anybody that you're worried about outside. So people pack the middle of the field against them. They have no real running game. People want the Eagles to run the ball, but the reality of it is, is who are you worried about running the ball? Like, who, And then they can't convert third downs at this record pace. So, and then their defense can't play from in front because they're always behind. They've scored 21 points in the first quarter. It goes on and on and on. So, you know, can we talk about the, uh, can we talk about the, the Steelers and the Jags game? My favorite stat from this game uh, is that, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, not too long ago, I guess it was two weeks ago at this point, he had a perfect passer rating, right? Lombardi, remember this? Uh, at, at one point late in this game in the first half, he had a passer rating of 1.7. So, uh, at least, at least Blake is rubbing off on his opponents uh, in the AFC. Uh, you know, that's the best thing I think he's doing, right, for this team? This was one of the Blake's finest hours. <laughs> First of all, let me just say this, okay? I don't give a fuck what anybody tells me, okay? I'm done listening to anybody, all right? This is it. I'm done with this one now, okay? They've done er- – I don't give a fuck what comes out of Jacksonville, what Tom Coughlin says, what the great David Caldwell has to offer. I don't give a fuck, right? I don't care. They went into this game basically saying, we hate our quarterback and he's not going to beat us. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure he doesn't fuck us up. Okay. That's what they did. They went, I don't give a shit what anybody says. Okay. Watch the tape. 
That's what they said, okay? And so they managed him the entire game, and they couldn't even keep him from beating themselves. So they get this great lead. They're playing defense for the first time that they played defense all season like they did last great year. Great game by Ramsey. Ramsey had that beautiful pick on Ant- uh, you know, Antonio Brown in the end zone. Obviously, They're all playing was, great. Yeah, I mean, Miles My- Jack looks like the Miles Jack. I mean, they're playing fucking awesome, right? Okay, so, but of course, naturally, Blake, you know, they're trying to run Fournette, you know, two plays and run have Blake throw crossers and of course Blake runs for first down but to me here so they got this lead and it's 16 it becomes 16 to 6 we start the fourth quarter okay Jacksonville starts the fourth quarter they go three and out okay no big deal they got a third and 11 and Bortles throws the check down for seven okay now the Steelers come back Jacksonville great job holds them again and not only do they hold them Jacksonville gets the ball. Westbrook has a good return. He gets the ball on the Pittsburgh 41-yard line. Okay. Now, remember, all I talk about on this podcast is there's places on the field you can't take a sack, right? You can't take one. We're not taking one. That's we're just, in plus territory. We can't take a sack. Yep. We're not taking a sack here. We're going to throw. We're going to, if we got to run the ball, we're going to just keep. We're not taking a sack. Okay. First and 10, two yards. Second and eight, of course, what happens? Sack. Third and 17, what happens? Sack. Now you could say, well, it's Bort- it's not Bortles' fault. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. That not good enough. Jacksonville's defense comes right back down the field, stops them again, stops them again. They get the ball. Now they get the ball at their own forty-four. Now they're determined to not let Bortles play in the game. After that witness, they're determined to not let them play in the game. They hand it off twice. They get no. They basically they lose a yard on two handoffs. Third and eleven, and of course, naturally, he can't make a fucking play. They're punting again. So they go through the fourth quarter. Okay, they got a sixteen to six lead as they enter the fourth. They get. They basically have three and outs every possession until they're behind in the game. Until they get behind in the game. Yep. No, I take that back. They go three and out in every single possession in the fourth quarter. They do not get a third down converted. They're 0 for 4 in the third down, and they lose 20 to 16. At that point, you're driving home from the stadium. You got to say to yourself, either we get a new quarterback or this is going to, we're never winning here. You, you got to say, I mean, this to me, I don't give a fuck about what anybody tells me. This is exactly why you can't win with Blake Bortles. Because you can't even manage them anymore. When the game manager can't manage, uh, it really devalues the whole process. And and you did, I mean, you mentioned the fact, but I mean, we saw in third and ten, they're handing the ball off to Fournette because they have a better chance. They know it's a safer decision, and they they have they have a better chance to get ten yards with eight guys in the box uh, than than giving Blake the chance to to roll out and try to make a throw. But my question to you, though, I mean, they they had this decision to make this offseason. They get tricked a little bit, a little hoodwinked by uh, the the postseason run that they had in the AFC, um, and that was, as we all know at this point, I mean that was all defense. But it, you you can hear in these guys, Barry Church, you know Jalen Ramsey after the game when when you know throughout the year when they would bring stuff up, you know they're doing their job, they're doing their part. They're they're like you said, I mean they had a great game this week. They did enough to win a football game, but they have no faith in their quarterback on the offensive side to do anything to help them out. So, you know, that's kind of a damning proposition, and it's kind of hard to go into games. Uh, it's sort of like what we see with the Broncos. It's kind of hard to go into games and thinking you're going to win uh, because you know you're so limited offensively. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, at some point, you're going to have to have the realization, like, it's got to stop. Like, there's just no – like, at some point, I don't – like, I really want to know. I'd like to do a 30 for 30 on this. 
I would like to know how David Caldwell has convinced two really good football people who I have great respect for, the head coach, Doug Marone, and the, the, the vice president of player personnel, king of all football operations, Tom Coughlin, how they were able to, how Caldwell has convinced them that you can win a title with Blake Bortles. Like, I want to know. Like, I think there's a 30 for 30 there, Tate Frazier. Like, there's got to be something in this. Like, I don't understand it. It's so fucking obvious to everybody. Like, you, it's like we can't win with them. You know, they tried to get into the Kirk Cousins situation last year, but they did it half-assed. Like, they called up Cousins' guy, and, and they basically found out what he, was, what he wanted, and they're like, okay, that's it. You know, we're out. You know, we'll sign Bortles to an extension. Like, seriously? You know, they catch – you know, it's remarkable. It's really funny how the way, you know, the media shifts its attention, and if they like certain people, they, they won't write – like, they passed on Watson. They've passed on Mahomes. Get no shit for that, right? Yep. They get no shit for that. Could you imagine if Mahomes was playing in Jacksonville? Or could you imagine if, if Deshaun Watson was playing in Jacksonville? But isn't it interesting, Lombardi? I mean, you the two guys you bring up, Marone and Coughlin, I mean, Coughlin at the end of his run, he's dealing with, you know, whatever Eli Manning is at this point. I mean, despite the fact that the Giants have won back-to-back, and we can mention that. But uh, he was dealing with that at the end of his run, so that's what he's watching at the quarterback position. Marone, I mean, he was in, you know, Buffalo. He's got E.J. Manuel and Thad Lewis and, you know, a slew of other guys ro- ro- roaming through. So they were built on defense. They believed that you can just win with defense and building a solid defense. But I, I feel like that philosophy is like what we mentioned earlier in this podcast. It's an old school way of thought because it, it, there's too much pace, there's too many possessions, and there's too many free access touchdowns uh, across the board in the league. No doubt. I mean, and so like I, I just that's my rant on Blake. To me, of all the game, and I've watched every Blake game in my life. I've seen everything because I'm a you know I'm a Blake aficionado, and, and I'm just telling you that was the worst performance because everything that Jacksonville tried to do to limit Blake from beating them, they couldn't do. Can I ask you? Can I ask you one last uh, Blake Bortles question, and then, and then we'll do Eli. How many quarters does it take for Blake Bortles and the Jaguars to score fifty four points? Well, against air, probably it would take him eight. If the if the defense wasn't even on the field, it would probably take eight because okay. he's going to overthrow a couple. Yeah, he's going to you know, miss gonna, some guys. Yeah, he's going to miss open. some guys. There's no doubt. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I I think I think the fact look their offensive line is beat up. They're on their fourth left tackle. Eric Flowers played left tackle this week, so I mean, I understand there's some liability within their front, but look. The liability starts and end with the quarterback because Nathaniel Hackett's call sheet is so fucking small, he can't call anything. Like, what's he going to call with Blake? Okay, let's open up the formation. We're going to call crossers. Here we go, cross. Everybody knows they run crossers. It's like the biggest joke in America. Like, they got no passing game. Like, here comes another crosser. You know, meanwhile, the guys are getting the shit beat out and they come across the field. They're like, oh, the third and seventh crosser. Like, what are you going to run? You can't run anything. You're protecting yourself against them. And it's like, to put it in baseball terms, you know, it's like, we know a guy has no power. We're going to move in and we're going to slide over. I mean, for exactly. Blake, yeah, like we know exactly what Blake can do. So if, if he's going to decide to throw a post pattern uh, deep on us, good luck. Well, you know, we'll we'll see if he can do it. And if he does it, then we'll adjust after that. You know what I mean? It's a pretty, they have the tape on him. And we've seen that no before doubt. with guys like Blake, you know, who who can depend on their feet and run and and get away from pressure, and it works for a little while. But once you get the tape, and uh, you're not able to draw up new plays or find ways uh, to make him, uh, you know, be able to make easy throws, because he, he he's a lot like Fitzpatrick at times where he's so hot and cold, you don't know what you're getting going into a game either. So even if you do script out plays. You don't know which Blake is going to be out there. And, and and even if you have 30 plays scripted out and you watch his first pass and it slips out of his hand and, you know, and it lands at a guy's feet, 
you, you can't call a game the way you wanted to call a game. Everything changes. I, I really wish somebody would ask, I, like 10 years from now, somebody's going to ask Blake. Blake's going to say, yeah, man, I, I never expected to make this kind of money. I just, you know, I'm happy I did. You know, I don't even think Blake thinks he can play. I really don't. I don't think Blake thinks he's great. I think Blake just, you know, like I watch his body language. Like he just has nothing that looks like he's a commanding leader. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't, you know, I mean, it's unbelievable. Anyway, let's talk about the great Eli Manning. Let's and his- talk about a commanding leader, Ferris Bueller. Uh, and, and the New York Giants, they're they are they're, they're back. They're officially back, right? That, that's the good news for for all the NFC East. I mean, for as much as uh, much as they've been maligned by a lot of people in the media this year, and you know, people have talked uh, kind of down on on all those guys. You know, include you know the Giants, obviously, probably the number one in that group, maybe outside of the Clapper early on. But uh, Eli Manning, uh, you know. Things are going better for those guys there. I mean, they're, they're winning games that they should and are supposed to win. But OBJ, Ferris Bueller did tell us two weeks ago, Lombardi, they were going to win eight straight. And so far, he's two for two. No doubt. I mean, look, Eli threw one incomplete pass. I mean, you better slow down this juggernaut. And he's got the Eagles coming this week who have really nobody playing in their secondary. I mean, you know, watch out. They could really move. They could be a dangerous team coming down the stretch. I mean, Barkley was incredible in this game. But look, I mean, the story here is how badly coached the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are from from everywhere. I mean, I'm at the point now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that you know, as as, as critical as I've been on Jameis Winston, and I've been hard on him. I think that the environment and the culture is so bad in Tampa that I don't know if I would give up on them. I would probably, if somebody said you become the president of the team, I would. You got to clear out the culture. You got to change what's going on down there, and you got to see if you can have this kid do it because that's really a bad organization. I mean, they're bad. They don't have. They have what they are. The classic example of an organization that has players and they have no real direction. They have no symmetry. They collect talent. They don't build a team. To me, they have no chance. I mean, whether they keep Jason Light as the general manager or not, whomever walks in there, what the Bucks better do is the Bucks better hire one guy to run their franchise. Now, you know, they tried to do that a couple of years ago when they fired Gruden. You know, they've gone through this. Look, the Glazers will go out and pay whatever they got to find for the coach. You know, could you see Brian Kelly from Notre Dame going down there? Without a doubt, right? Yep. Without a doubt. I yep. can see that happening right and whatever they do they're going to turn the team over but they better start they got to start with the right culture i'm not sure winston is is in that environment the way it's so poorly organized and there's no attention to detail that i I don't know if i'd give up on him i think he's part of the problem but i'm not convinced of that and i learned a long time ago you can't get rid of a player unless you really know for sure and i think i don't really know for sure but i know one thing for sure the bucks are really really poorly organized poorly put together and poorly fundamentally coached they have no chance in in lombardi here's my staff for you to show that uh this guy trevor uh sikama i think is the way to pronounce this but tampa tampa bay buccaneers reporter here it is buccaneers had more yards against the redskins this week than the rams did against the kansas city chiefs we both know the Rams scored 54 points and the Bucks scored three points. There you go. So uh, that's what you talk about. You you may have the talent. You may have the numbers. You may have the people out there on the field that can produce, uh, but you are not a collective unit. You are not uh, built to win football games as a team. Uh, and that that is a, a tough spot to be in. The interesting thing with Winston, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, is if, if he does go out there and unfortunately get injured, 
he is due $20 million. So then, then the Bucks really don't have a choice. I mean, it, it is his team. Yeah, well, they, you know, look, they're going to start him this week. And if he gets hurt, they're on the hook for $20 million. But I think at this point, you almost have to do it because, you know, you got to see what you, you got to let him play. Fitzpatrick isn't going to do any good. And you, you know, a new coach is coming in. I don't know if a new general manager is coming in. I don't know that. But I think you definitely have to do it. And so... Look, I just think to me that's as bad of an organization as I mean, they're disorganized. They can't. I don't even know that they practice. Look, I think when you run the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you have to be really, really concerned about where you are. Tampa's a, a, a really an interesting town. There's a lot of shit going on down there. A lot of strip clubs, a lot of stuff for the players to do, a lot of things outside of football that can affect your team. And you got to have a lot of guys like they did have at one time when they had the saps and the lynches, even though, you know, Warren may have had some issues off the field. Warren was love, love football. He was passionate about football, right? Lynch, those guys, Brooks, those guys love, you better get a bunch of guys that love football on your team when you're in Tampa. They don't have that right now. And and unfortunately, that was one of the things that people loved about Jameis coming into uh, that situation and, and coming out of the draft was he was a very passionate guy. Uh, uh, you know, on the football field and, and, and was always, uh, you know, the guy to give the hype speech, even though they may not make sense. He just seemed like he was very invested and involved in the game of football. Um, uh, you know, you don't see that as much anymore. And that, you know, may come down to culture. And, uh, you know, what happens if, you know, Jameis does perform late in this year and a team like Jacksonville says, hey, we need to try to figure out if we could trade for someone like Jameis. I mean, is that is that a, a possibility? And that, that's a way that maybe the Buccaneers could get some value back for Jameis? I mean, is that best case scenario? You know, I, I mean, where are they going to turn to? I think to me, they've got to be able to, they, they got to find out what's going on i mean i i i mean to me this is the problem the glaciers are not going to know what's going on they're relying on jason light to tell them they don't really have a true president who understands football in their world i mean i think to me what the glaciers don't understand is culture matters in fact maybe i should send them my book you know because that would might help them because it really that's really what they lack they really don't have a they don't get the culture element they don't see here's part of the problem they didn't understand why they won in the first place you know they didn't understand why they won in the first place. And so since you don't figure out why you won, you can't figure out how to continue winning. And we've seen so many weird years in Tampa Bay where, you know, a Raheem Morris year where he wins 10 games, but they're just in a really tough division. So they don't make the playoffs. And, and, and then that, you know, that regime and era is over and they move on. I mean, they, they've dumped so many guys and, and tried to find that formula for so long. And, you know, we should point out, I mean, being in the NFC South is no easy journey at this point when you got, uh, you know, the Falcons who have obviously, you know, had an MVP in Matt Ryan going to a Super Bowl. The Panthers, same thing with Cam Newton getting an MVP going to a Super Bowl. We all know what Drew Brees is. I mean, one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen in football and you know a guy that won a Super Bowl with the Saints so uh, they have been in a tough position for quite some time and uh, you know who knows I mean as that as that group of quarterbacks leaves and they find a new guy they can maybe get ahead of that you know that next curve if, if they do find someone to come in like what we what we've seen in Indianapolis with Frank Reich you know you get a guy in there who knows what he wants to do uh, and he makes it happen so uh, there is a chance but can we can we do awards and can we start with on the lamb because it seems like Dirk Cutter and uh, maybe the, the whole, but maybe maybe Tampa Bay should take a break and go on the lamb this week, Lombardi. Oh, I think there's no doubt they need to go on the lamb, Tay Frazier. I think there's no doubt they need to go on the lamb. That just goes from worse to worse to worse. They just definitely go on the lamb. And the next word we have the Fred Palermo Award. So this is a. Uh, all about preparation, getting a game plan together. I mean, uh, Andy Reid and Sean McVay pretty much had the same game plan going up against each other, so I don't think those guys qualify. But uh, Lombardi, what, what game stuck out, uh, stuck out to you and uh, which team do we have this week? 
I, I like the Ravens. I think, you know, what they did with Lamar Jackson, I mean, they didn't they didn't overburden them with the game plan. I thought they did a nice job with them, and, and he ran the ball effectively. They won the game by three points. I mean, look, you know, Flacco being out, it was funny. Flacco didn't, didn't drop the line when he was hurt. So uh, I thought the Ravens did a nice job. They played well. I mean, look, the Bengals' defense isn't very good, but I think they did. And then, look, I, I'd like to give it to the Denver Broncos, but I don't think the Broncos won that game. I think my man Anthony Lynn lost the game. I mean, Anthony Lynn, by running the ball on that second down, third down play, basically gave Vance Joseph five more plays to move the ball down the field, and he got beaten over. He got beat on a field goal. So, as much as I like to say, you know, Denver won the game. Denver didn't win the game, and. You know, same thing in Chicago. Like, you know, I mean, did you hear much from your Trubisky fans from Twitter this week? Did you hear it? Well, they're I diehard mean, Lombardi. The 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 Trubiskets. I call them the Truthers. The Mitchell Truthers. Uh, they're always in a. They're always in good spirits, especially now that the Bears are winning. But Tay Frazier, I fucking I love this one. I had These a guy. Are Carolina I, Mitchell Trubisky fans. These are Chicago fans. I had a guy send me on Twitter how Drew Brees didn't move the ball on the Vikings and that I'm being not partial to Mitchell. Okay, you know, like. To me, like I think Mark Twain once said, you can't reason with unreasonable people because they'll beat you with experience every time. Like that's that that you can't you can't you can't like that like just leave that alone. Like if you watch that Bears game on on Sunday night and you're telling me you thought Mitchell played well, good luck. Okay, God bless you. There's there, we shouldn't have a conversation. Like there's no point in us having one. There's really none. Be sure to tweet Lombardi uh, your Bears thoughts as much as you can. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, <laughs> I will say this, Lombardi. The, the thing that we pointed out both about Mitchell was that the Bears continue to start these games out hot. I mean, we saw at halftime they're outgaining the Vikings 202 to 77, uh, but uh, they're only up 14 to zero in that game, and, and that's really the difference because that defense. I mean, a, as the game wears on, they are not as dynamic because that, that's just hap- that's what happens. You talk about conditioning, and you talk about the fact that I mean, these games are long, seasons are long, defensive linemen. I mean, it, it's tough to continue to build a pass rush in a game, but the the separation that should be uh, that should be made. You know, stretching out games more like we saw earlier with the Packers when they lost to them this season. There, there is room for improvement where Mitchell can stretch out these leads, and so far uh, he hasn't been able to do so all the time. So, to to me, I think that is the fairest criticism of Mitchell is because the defense has been so great. They put him in great situations to take big leads, and you know, we've seen you know 10-0, 14-0. Uh, it's sort of like a Jake Delhomme thing that we saw back in the day. You know, where it, you, they've already had three turnovers, but we're only up you know nine to zero because we had three field goals. Look, I think it really comes down to the fact that, you know, Mahomes is so good, Watson's so good, and the Bears fans are just so desperate to have Mitchell be in the same conversation. And, yeah, he runs the ball around there because, I mean, look, they traded an asset to get him. It's more of about their their verbiage is more desperate. As Springsteen would say, sometimes I can't tell my desperation from my courage. I think it's more desperation than them courageously believing in Mitchell. I think – now, look, that being said – Maybe he'll continue to improve. Maybe he'll get better. The accuracy to me is always going to be an issue, but we'll see how that goes. But yeah, give him credit where credit is due. He's 41 rushes going into the game. He had five more carries in the game. His feet cause you problems. There's no doubt. His feet cause you problems. And if you don't handle his, 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 his movement in the pocket, like the first third down of the game, he's going to, he's going to beat you. And, and you gotta you gotta account for it. You gotta have a good rush plan when you go against him. You just can't go in there and say, let's get up the field and let's make some plays. Cause his feet can beat you. It, it's no different than Lamar Jackson. I mean, you know, to me, Mitchell and Lamar are similar in what they can do. Lamar's not very accurate either. 
but his feet can beat you, and I think that's where Mitchell's in the same category. And it's uh, to me, I mean, the the thing with this Bears defense and what what I kind of you know liken it to because now people are speaking about the Bears as if uh, you know they're in the category to be a Super Bowl contender at this point. And I think the the, the fair co- you know comparison to Mitchell at this point, and uh, it may, may he may not be even at that level. But what we saw you know with the with the 49ers, when Kaepernick made the run in you know twenty twelve twenty thirteen, just having the ability to be a threat and have to have a defense account for him in a contained situation. And just put enough pressure in the playoffs where you know he made enough key third down runs to to you know elongate drives and then from there uh, you know they go on and win some big games. But you know you, you know there it's were, funny there were limitations. you said that. I think you just made a great point there, one of your many great points. But I think that you, with the, what you said, take the political aspect out of it. Kaepernick, I think Kaepernick and Mitchell are very similar. I do. I think Kaepernick coming out of Nevada, Reno was very inaccurate, very yeah. inaccurate. He was really, and I didn't like him. I thought he was way, and I thought he got better and they did a great job with him in San Francisco, he, he, you know, in terms of protecting his accuracy and they ran an offense around him. So that being said, uh, you, you know, I think there's some similarities. Now, I think the reality of it is, is can he, can he develop and change and find a different way to improve on that? But I think the Kaepernick, as just football player, I think the Kaepernick uh, analogy is really similar. Because they are great athletes. And then, uh, you know, you talk about Lamar Jackson, too. I think when it when the offense is being tailored to make you look better, I mean, the fact that the, the Ravens open a game and they, were no, they did not throw a single pass, they go 75 yards and they score a touchdown, you know, that is, that is an offense that is being tailored to the skill set of Lamar Jackson as he currently plays football. Um, and that's good to see. You're not just throwing a guy out there in your system uh, and being hard-headed about it, which I think uh, for a lot of these young quarterbacks, I mean, we saw Andy Reid let, you know, Mahomes learn and he tailored the offense to his game and the throws that he can make. And uh, Nagy's obviously doing that with Trubisky. And, you know, you, you see that kind of stuff in the NFL. Obviously, we don't know what Goss been able to do with Big Vay. But and then you watch, you know, Blake Bortles uh, in that Steelers game and it looks like a totally different game. Don't get me going. You had to ruin my day. Can we do our last uh, last award for the week? If you don't know, now you know. I was going to ask you this question. And now, you know, what, what, what is it that we need to know now? What do we know? To me, I, I think we know, uh, that's to use a, you know, a Michael Lombardi qualifier. I think we know that the New Orleans Saints are the best team in football. Like, like we talked about at the top of this podcast, as much as everyone's enamored with the idea of what we saw in that Rams-Chiefs game as far as the offense and the big plays, the, the New Orleans Saints can play different styles, and I think that they have the ability to match up with a lot of different teams a lot of different ways. Um, and I think that they've had to adjust uh, in, in games to win games. And uh, I, I, to me, I think the Saints are the best team in football. What about you, Lombardi? I do think they are the best team in football, but I also think that uh, they are uh – I think they're well coached. And I think to beat the Rams, to beat the Saints, you're going to have to be really well coached. You're going to have to manage games differently. And I think there's an one thing you got to know for sure now is old time game management don't work anymore. It's a different league. It's a different time. Uh, even though they were doing this back in 1966, everything apparently has changed in 2018. Uh, it was fun to see Andy Reid and Sean McVay, uh, you know, both work the clock. They were running the two-minute offense from the start of the game. Uh, it's fun to watch football like that, but, uh, you know, it, it is good to talk to you, Lombardi, and get uh, perspective on all this stuff. We will be back, uh, you know, next Tuesday to do the full breakdown of all things over Thanksgiving. Uh, we hope that everyone has a, th- you know, happy Thanksgiving with their families and they're able to watch football uh, and enjoy themselves. Have a happy holiday, uh, Lombardi. Any more thoughts before we get out of here? 
No, I'm good, Tate Frazier. Have a great Thanksgiving. One of the greatest weekends of all time. I love it. Enjoy it. Enjoy the games. Enjoy everything. And thanks for everything. I'm thankful for you, Tate Frazier. I appreciate you. I'm thankful for you, Michael Lombardi, even though uh, the Mitchell Trubisky fans, I'll, I'll try to stop them uh, and keep them at bay for as long as I can. Uh, we'll be back <laughs> next Tuesday. And uh, again, we hope everyone uh, has a happy Thanksgiving. And we appreciate all of you who listen to GM Street. Talk to you soon. Thanks again to FanDuel. I am so excited to be playing on FanDuel this football season because over at FanDuel, you get the excitement of researching and building your team each week, regardless of the outcome. Plus, they have tons of ways to play, like the Gridiron Pick'em Contest, where you just pick winners, no spreads. Then $10,000 is split amongst the top pickers. Trust me, if you're not a fantasy expert, then FanDuel is clearly the place to play. And new users get a $5 bonus when they make their first deposit, so come play with me at FanDuel.com slash the ringer that is fanduel.com slash the ringer again new users only bonus not available for withdrawal state and age restrictions apply for full eligibility rules and terms and conditions go to fanduel.com have a happy thanksgiving and enjoy the football